Welcome to Superheroes of Science. I'm Stephen. And I'm Sarah. We co-host Science from the Experts. Our guests are professionals doing cutting-edge science right now. They're experts in their field discussing what they know best. So listen up and learn real science from real people. Subscribe now and stay informed of our latest episodes and show your support. Today on Superheroes of Science, we're here with Professor Andy Freed from the Department of Earth, Atmospheric, and Planetary Sciences here at Purdue. Andy teaches a course, EAPS 105, and that sort of led to us bringing you in today to ask you some questions. I think we're primarily going to ask about the moon, but um, these are some of the things you might cover in that course. Yeah. Now, first, first things first, I, I have to point out this a quick story that, uh, that when was the first fact built to me? So that August, late August, early September? Oh, August, I think it was. Uh, it doesn't yeah. matter when I guess it was, but we were there on campus and you showed up. And I stopped at the ADU, then I walked back over to a couple of students. Mm -hmm. And immediately it, it was it was stardom. They're like, is that Professor Freed? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, they go like, yeah. I'm like, Sam, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know? I think they're like, wow, you know, they're so excited. Yeah. The uh, Professor Freed. I heard right someone say, I can't believe I'm this close to Professor Freed. <laughs> I don't think I've been this close to him before. So. Well, it's it's funny because my classes are very large, so the students don't actually get very close to me. You know, and, <laughs> and, and, and I have a lot online. And I, th I think the reason they like him, too, is I teach two classes. One's a hazards class, one's a planetary class. And um, and I've evolved my position as a professor so I can really kind of concentrate on those two, which are like electives for non-majors. And so I've been able to devote myself to having fun, basically trying to make this science accessible. And I think they've appreciated that and fun experiments and such. So I'm glad I got the reaction. You know, usually students, the, the typical, my favorite comments are, you know, I took this course because it was easy, but I can't believe how much I learned. Yeah. So it's like win-win. Do a little work, get an A, but actually come away and learn some, about something you never thought you'd be able to learn about. Sounds unrealistic. It's, it sounds like the unicorn of classes right there. <laughs> That's worked out. That's awesome. That's awesome. But uh, it's actually more than... Also, it's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you're definitely a star on campus. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, as we walk through campus, we see posters, banners with your face on them. Because mm -hmm. it's you've received uh, awards. Has yeah, including the teaching awards. Uh, yep, I've been very. It's I've been very blessed with uh, appreciation of my colleagues and the students for. The effort I've put in, so that's always really nice. Yeah, but and this all comes back to, I mean, when I first met you, you were just a, another scientist. <laughs> Not as famous as you are today. But uh, it's the fact that you are a scientist, and you do research, and you study these things. This is the, the reason we have you here today. Not just because you're fake. <laughs> and I should say we have you back today. Right. Because we've done an episode with you, Breeze. Yes. Was that video? Yeah, it was. Okay, I couldn't remember if I was in our video stage because it was a couple years ago. It's, I think it was during the pandemic. Okay. I believe it was. It was in a green room, yeah. I think, one of the on campus. Oh, um, okay. So you've been to work. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Some, some of them date back where they're audio only. We didn't have videos of them. And so, but I'm pretty sure I, I remember seeing it with a moon behind. Yes. Okay. And is that the topic for today? That's the topic for today, moons. We're, we're going to expand 
and uh, learning a bit more about. Now you said moons. Is it more than one moon we're talking about? I think today we're just going to concentrate on our moon. Okay. But are the moons on island planets called moons? Absolutely. Or are they just... They're moons. I didn't know, like, we are Earth. You know? Right. The moon, because it was the first moon that we even knew about. So it was the moon. Ah. Right? But then when we discovered other moons, it's like, ooh, so let's make the moon capital. So the moon with a capital means our moon, and all the others are just moons with, with their own names. Okay. okay. That, that actually clears something up for me because I wasn't sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, so I, I don't know. Do we start with the creation of the moon? Where do we start here? That's up to you. Hmm? I, you got a couple of them to start there. Okay. You look at me like, don't, don't. What? Okay. No. All right. Oh I want to make sure I'm not getting in trouble. Do you feel guilty here or what? Sometimes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess to start with, how do we think the moon formed? And how do we know to think that? Oh, great question. So we're pretty sure, because there's a lot of evidence for it, that basically very early Earths, 4.5, billion years ago, we were hit with a Mars-sized object. So basically a planet uh, named Thea. Uh, and it hit us on a glancing blow. Uh, not not straight on. And what it did was it, it completely destroyed the Earth and Thea. And part of Thea got basically ejected into kind of a ring of material. And, uh, and then gravity kind of pulled everything back in and pulled that ring of material uh, back in. It literally, perhaps only a matter of hours. Oh. And uh, yeah, it's unbelievable how fast. And we, we have computer simulations of the whole process. Mm -hmm. So some of the evidence of that is, for example, the moon has a very small core. So imagine a Mars-sized object hitting an early Earth on a glancing blow. So what happens is it knocks off crust and mantle from the Earth, but doesn't really get down to the core. And But you do have core material from, from Thea. So in the mix, you have a lot more crustal material, a lot more mantle material from both objects, but only a little core material, just what Thea had. And so when the moon solidified from that, had crust, you had mantle, only a tiny core because you didn't have very much material, you know, to, to deal with. And um, another thing is it turns out that uh, where planets form, uh, how far from the sun really determines the chemistry because it's, you know, the rocks you s scooped up from this original disk material. Uh -huh. Well, when we look at the moon, uh, it has basically identical chemistry to the Earth in terms of the mantle rocks and the crust of rocks. And this is always just a really, you know, the, the type of isotopes, the types of elements that are there and such. It's like a fingerprint. And the only way that you can explain the two having virtually identical fingerprints is if there was complete mixing of the two and then they separated back out and you just formed two different objects from the same mix. So that, again, points to a giant impact. And so part of what was Earth is on the moon and part of what was the is still here? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a big mix and now we can't tell which was which. We can just tell it's had both together. And that could actually happen in Pentagris. Uh, yeah, it's uh, gravity is a very strong force. And uh, yeah, and there, we used to think perhaps 
it formed a ring initially, like Saturn, and we had a ring, and then over time, maybe that ring, you know, formed into a planet. But the latest simulations actually suggest it happened really quickly. Oh, wow. Now, formed into a ball, but it took a long time for things to cool down. So okay. probably both planets had magma oceans you know, covering them. And in fact, that's another example. You know, Earth has had, we've reprocessed, we've had plate tectonics, we've had wind and waves. Yeah. So it's hard to see. We don't have any like real pristine rocks from way back then. But the moon hasn't changed much. And if you go look at the moon's crust, it's very interesting because it's, um, it's got layers to it. And what happens is if you melt rock, unlike water, if you, if you, if you have water and you freeze it, you just get ice. Mm -hmm. But if you have melted rock, and you cool it down to freeze it. What happens is certain minerals drop out first, like the heavier minerals drop out first to freeze out, and then the next ones, and then the next ones. And what you end with at the very top is what we call a northosite crust. It's a very light, you know, low density type of crust. The only way we've ever seen it form is by melting rock and then slowly freezing it. So that shows us that the, the Earth absolutely was had a covered as a magma ocean that slowly cooled over time to leave us the crust that we see today. Now, but what about the moon? It couldn't have... No, I'm talking about the moon. Oh, the moon? How could the moon have slowly cool with space being freaking cold? Well, all right, so that's a misnomer too. You, you think space is cold. Yeah. But if you, if you went out to space right now and, you, you know, away from the Earth, but you know, somewhere in this neighborhood of the sun, and you face the sun, you would be like 400 degrees. You would be really, really hot. But your backside would be like minus 400 degrees. It would be really, really cold. Because space, I mean, just you'd have the radiation from the sun. Everything's really hot. Or if you're in shadow, everything's really cold. All right, so, so that's a misnomer that space is just cold. If you're near a star, space is really warm. If you're far away, then you could think of it as cold. But it's also that, the only way to radiate heat off of a planet or a moon is through basically light, electromagnetic radiation, what we call radiative heat cooling. It's a very inefficient process. If you went out to space and stepped outside a capsule, like unlike the movie like Mission to Mars, or I think it was that, you would not just instantly turn into a popsicle. It would actually take you a couple hours to freeze to death because you would retain your heat for a long time. It really is a very slow process. Um, long before that, you would suffocate. Oh, well, okay. So, Let's say now I'm dying quickly. Yeah. Thanks. So it's, it's, a slow, it's a slow process. Okay. No, it's... Uh, okay, that, that blows my mind. Honestly, yeah, that ruins every sci-fi movie I've seen right. in my entire life. Yeah. And probably the ones I'm going to see from here on out. <laughs> oh, oh. The people that watch them with me will hate you from now on. You know, I'll be like, okay. I don't know. Dr. Freed said that's not true. I, but I watch so many sci-fi movies that I can, in my brain, I can pick apart. Yeah, that works. That doesn't work. That doesn't ruin a movie for me. As long as it's a good story and they're consistent in their science. Like uh -huh. you step out and you freeze and I step out and I freeze and you step out and you freeze. I'm good with that. But if you step out, you freeze and I step out and I don't freeze, then okay, now what's going on here, right? So if you're consistent with your errors, you know, mm -hmm. that's, then that's just suspension of disbelief. It's okay. It's sci-fi. I don't, I don't mind that. All right. Those I like are... that. I like being consistent with the yeah. storyline and then that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I'll be honest that 
I thought if I stepped out without the pressurized spacesuit and everything, that I would implode. So that's another thing, you, you won't. Believe it or not, the human body is actually very good at, we go to very high pressures when we go down under the sea, we go to very low pressures when we go up. And the, the more, it's, it's, if you suddenly have a pressure change, the most likely thing would happen is you would go, you would become unconscious, mm -hmm. right? But the, your body won't, you know, basically implode or actually explode because you have higher pressure here. And, and, you know, and, and go outwards. The, the human body is, is actually very resilient on pressure changes. Now, uh, it's actually, there, I don't know if you guys seen 2001 Space Odyssey, it's from 1968. Oh, yeah, I put that out of my mind. I don't know if I got past the apes. Way ahead of its time, okay? But there's a scene in there where uh, Bowman, the, the astronaut, has to get back into the ship, but he's been stranded on his small craft. And so he has to, he doesn't have his helmet, he has to blow the blow the lid off of his, you know, you know hatch and, and go into the, you know, into the other ship. Uh -huh. So he's exposed to space. And, you know, for just a small amount of time, sling it in and shut the door and get the oxygen on. So what he does is he actually hyperventilates and then breathes out because you don't want any air in your lungs. That that would be suddenly pushed out and that could really collapse your lungs. So he pushes all the air out of his lungs, holds his breath, and he he's actually able to go out there. He doesn't freeze. He doesn't explode. Most of us would go unconscious being exposed to the low, to the zero pressure, but is trained astronauts, you know, like fighter pilots are, who can h handle like 10 Gs, where we would go unconscious like at 3 yeah. Gs. You know, they're, they're kind of a different specimen. Realistic specimen, but they're really well conditioned. So, and so saying it's, plausible? it's very plausible that he could have actually survived that. Wow. I, <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. Yeah, <laughs> Let's get back to the movie. Yeah, Probably the best because you're already blowing so many misconceptions by that. Oh, it's kind of embarrassing at this point, <laughs> but it's I don't think I'm the only one. All right, so the moon forms. Yeah. Yeah. We have formation. You said what? The planet was Thea. 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 Yeah. That crashed into Earth. Glancing. The glancing blow, and we've created the moon. By the way, another reason we know a glancing blow. We can see how the moon orbits and how the planet spins, and all of that is what we refer to as angular momentum. When Theta hits us, Theta's angular momentum and our angular momentum, the total angular momentum is conserved. If Theta hits straight on like this, then we, the moon would not be in the orbit that it is now. It, and, and the angular momentum that exists now shows us that it had to be a glancing blow, plus the core situation as well. So mm -hmm. it's actually lots of pieces of evidence that don't just show us its collision, but tell us, show us how the collision occurred. It's kind of pretty cool. No. So does this mean that, that it's going to keep that orbit forever? No. The moon is moving away from us what? about four centimeters a year, every single year. For the last four and a half billion years, it's been doing that. Really? Right. So it was a lot closer before? Yeah, so the moon is what three hundred eighty-four thousand kilometers away. Okay. We think when it first hit us, it was only maybe twenty twenty thousand kilometers away, and it's been moving away ever since. And what's wild is okay, when it moves away, it's actually 
the net angular momentum is conserved, but the, the moon is getting more of that angular momentum. It's taking it away from the Earth. So what happened is the Earth, at that time, we probably had days on the order of, I don't know, six, eight, 10 hour days. We were spinning really fast. As the moon moves away, it slows us down because it, we kind of get systems conserved, but we trade some of the, our angular momentum to the moon to keep it, to keep it out there. So like our 24 hour day, we're still slowing down, you know, in another billion years. We'll, I don't know if we have a 25 hour day. So it's, and life is evolving, you know, we get used yeah. to it, but. Timing changes too. Jeez. So <laughs> now you mentioned before the moon is tidally locked. You mentioned yeah. we mentioned yeah. in talking discussion. Okay. The moon is tidally locked. Okay. So these are related. There's a lot of things that happen in our orbit that because of our orbit, there's a lot of consequences. So tidally locked, first of all, it, what do you know what tidally locked means? Maybe not how it's caused, but you know what it means. Well, it just, well, the tide follows it, was my assumption, because the gravity of the moon is pulling the water off the earth type of thing. So those are tides, right? But tidally locked means that we always see one face of the moon. We always see just the near, the near side of the moon. So we, we don't see the, the dark side of the moon, right? Okay. Oh, actually... I brought a I brought a prop. <laughs> my uh, my shirt here. Okay. Okay, I see so it. So here's it this is the near side of the moon. Okay. All right. Here's the far side of the moon. It doesn't look dark. Okay, it's not dark because the moon is just a ball in space, right? And um, yeah, once in a while the Earth blocks the sunlight, but for the most part it doesn't. So when we see a new moon and it's really dark on this side. It's got to be light on the other side, right? It's day and night. Every planet, every moon has day and night. I think it's a common misconception. I do too. It is. Yeah. I blame Pink Floyd. Right. Yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> actually, the words for Pink Floyd are, it, it's, there's no dark side of the moon. It's all dark. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay. So, one face. All the time, we always just see this face. We, that's what actual tidally lock just means. We see that one face. That that's what is the face that always faces the Earth. That's right. And all right. So if I tell you the moon is tidally locked, let me ask you this: How long? If if it takes, let's say, twenty-seven days for the moon to orbit the Earth, in that time, how many times? How many day-night cycles does the moon experience? How many times does it spin around? completely around, like noon to noon. Well, I would think it'd have to be the same as us. Well, no, it's not the same yeah, as because it has to be slower than this. Once? One. Exactly one. Yeah. Exactly one, right? So the, the moon is actually rotating, has day and night, but it takes exactly one cycle, right? One orbit is one day-night cycle. Otherwise, we would not just continue to see the near side. Yeah. By the way, we never saw the far side until the Apollo first Apollo mission that we went to the other side. And, oh, there it is! We there it is. <laughs> we've never we've never seen it before. Oh wow! Okay. Okay. So you want to talk about tidally locking and moving out? Yes. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to get into some serious science here. Okay. But all right. So, um, well, first of all, let me let me let me explain another basic question because it's because we're going to talk about gravity here, but. Right. 
do you know why the moon doesn't just fall into the earth? Yeah. Is it the rotational force? Yes, exactly. The moon is rote, it's orbiting. It has angular velocity. Okay. Okay, so here's <laughs> this is so stressful. I think it's the most stressful one you've done. Here's an example then. Here's this is angular velocity, right? All right. Now, if I let go, what's this ball gonna do? Uh hit Sarah. Well, it depends where I let it go. Yeah. But it's like, it's gonna flow, it's gonna it's gonna go outwards. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. All right, that's a centripetal force. So the moon has a centripetal force. It's it wants to throw it outwards, mm -hmm. but it has gravity holding it back. Yeah. So gravity in this case is acting like the rope. Mm -hmm. All right, so all orbits are just a simple balance of those two forces. You said gravity, it's first gravity. First gravity. Okay. It's pulling the moon. Mm -hmm. The moon's got a, it's it got a certain orbital velocity it's throwing it out. And where the moon's orbit is, is an exact balance between those two forces. All right. So actually, while we're sitting on the Earth and the Earth is spinning, mm -hmm. the Earth is trying, we're being thrown outwards. But we're so close to the Earth that it is, uh, that we feel a downward force. But if the Earth was not spinning, we would be, gravity would be a lot stronger. Oh. In fact, here's going to blow your mind. It takes the International Space Station at 90 minutes to orbit the Earth. Okay, it's in orbit. So the International Space Station in its orbit has that perfect balance between gravity and the centripetal force. So 90 kilometers, not 90 minutes, and the space station is not that far above the surface of the Earth, right? What that means is if the Earth spun up so that a day was just an hour and a half long, mm -hmm. so basically we're going the same speed, we would all start floating. Because the centripetal force of going at, at that speed would yeah. exactly match the gravity that's pulling us down, and we would all be like, just hanging out, just like just like people are on the space station. Even with the mass of the Earth, the same consistent. Right, because if you go faster, more centripetal force pushing you outwards, but gravity staying the same. So at some point, you're going to go. The Earth would spin fast enough that you get that centripetal force. I mean, that's what orbits are, right? So if you and I wanted to go into orbit right here, basically gain a, if an hour and a half to, to do one, one day night cycle, you and I would be in orbit right here. Wow. All right, all right. <laughs> I'll you. Okay. All right, this is another question for you. Here's, this is, let's say, let's say you're the, you're the Earth, Here's here's the moon. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if, if if your Earth and this is the moon and your gravity is pulling it towards, what shape do you think the moon would take on? I mean, would it stay as a ball without rotation? Forget about rotation for right now. Without rotation, I would think it would start to not be perfectly round. It would elongate. Yeah, it would look. Something like this. Oh, yeah. Right. I would expect. So greatly exaggerated, but exactly. This is what the Earth. This is what the Moon looks like. Is that a rugby ball? That's a rugby ball. Wow. Okay, Australia. Um, so that that's what the that's what the Moon would that's what the Moon looks like, but greatly exaggerated. It gets elongated, and why is it? It's actually because this side of the Moon is closer to you, so gravity's stronger than this side. So this side gets. A little bit more force pulling towards than this side. So, 
It is actually it elongated is, now? Exactly, yes. It is elongated now. Oh. Okay. It's not very much, I mean, but it's it's enough. And it's enough to cause the effects I'm about to talk about. Okay. okay. Now, suppose early on, the moon was actually spinning really fast in its orbit, not entirely locked. Mm -hmm. All right. What that does is if the moon is spinning faster than it orbits, in other words, a day-night cycle is a lot shorter than the 27 days. Okay. Well, it takes time for the moon to deform, right, as it's going around. And what it does is it creates kind of uh, the, this bulge, rotates, it gets ahead like this. So you're the Earth on the moon. Because the moon is spinning really fast and it takes time for it, you know, now the bulge wants to come here, right? Mm -hmm. But it takes time. So the, because it's spinning so fast, the bulge gets rotated a little bit off axis. So what happens now? Where's the strongest gravity between the Earth and the moon now? Off-center from the bulge. Off-center. It's not a straight line here. It's to here. Mm -hmm. And what does that do? Now, instead of pulling, trying to pull the Earth, the moon straight towards you like that, it actually wants to pull this side a little bit more. It wants to rotate it back. Okay? And so if this is spinning too fast and the bulge gets like this, the gravity, because it's offset, the gravity will pull it back. Well, how does it pull it back? By slowing its rotation. Until it's lined up. And then when it's lined up, that only happens when you're getting one rotation per orbit. Suppose the moon was actually orbits rotating less than once per orbit. Same thing, but the bulge will be off here. And now what will happen, the Earth will pull this back and speed it up. So no matter how the moon or any moon starts out too fast or too slow, it'll eventually become tidally locked. And you'll only see one face. So are all the moons in our... Our galaxy totally locked. Well, let's talk about the solar system because we haven't actually discovered any moons outside of our solar system. Okay. We actually think we ha we there might might have found one so far, but um, pretty much yes. But the exceptions are that the uh, moons are also can be influenced by the gravity of the other moons, and they can pull them out of being tidally locked. Okay. Like Pluto's Charon is tidally locked, but its other four moons are not. And there's a few other cases like that because um, uh, because of interferences of other gravity forces. But th if those, those aside, almost all the moons are tidally locked. From the surface, you only see one face. All right, so you get how, how moons become tidally locked. No matter if they're, if they're spinning too fast or too slow, gravitational forces will speed them up or slow them down until they are one cycle per orbit. All right, now let's pretend you're the moon and this is the Earth. Mm -hmm. Now the moon has less gravity in the Earth, but it still causes the Earth to elongate it. And now it's your tides, right? And this is the interesting thing. So this would be high tide, right? Yeah. Closer to you. But there's another high tide on the other side. Did you know that? I guess I never thought about it. Right, because the, the Earth gets elongated and of course the water with a little bit less strength gets more elongated, right? Uh, and so you get a high tide on this side, and you get a high tide on this side, and you get a low tide on this side, and you get a low tide on this side. Okay. All right. But now the Earth is rotating, and it's rotating faster than the moon is orbiting, right? Mm -hmm. 
take, we do it we are once in one day and it takes you know, yeah. 27 days. So from the vantage point of you're the moon, this is the earth because we're going faster, the earth's bulge is the, where the tide is, is actually off axis. Now, if you're the moon, and this is the bigger gravitational force here, I'm not pulling you straight in. I'm actually giving, pulling you towards me, but I'm actually also pulling you a little bit in that direction because I have this bulge out here. Oh. So if you are orbiting me, and I'm not just pulling you in, but I'm kind of pulling you with a little bit, mostly in, but a little bit in that direction, I'm actually pulling you into a little bit higher orbit. Oh, which accounts for the four centimeters a year. Which accounts for the four centimeters a year. That is why the moon is moving farther away from the Earth each year, because the Earth is spinning faster than you are orbiting. So tidal locking on one side and the moon moving faster on the other side is both because one or the other, you know, they're both being elongated. Now here's going to Phobos, uh, Mars. Let me get this wrong. Phobos or Deimos. I think it's Phobos. Phobos is orbiting Mars, but Mars is rotating very slowly compared to how Phobos. And so the bulge is the other direction. And so what it's actually doing is pulling Phobos into a lower orbit and eventually Phobos will crash into Mars. Do we know when? Uh, I, somebody might. Somebody's counting. Well, actually, long before that happens, uh, when, when a moon becomes, or any object in orbit becomes too close, the gravitational forces become so great, the greater than the rock strength, it actually breaks, it'll break it apart. So Phobos, as it comes in, will actually get broken apart and will turn into a ring. Oh. Uh, Saturn's rings are very likely formed from some object being caught and brought too close, and it's called a Roche limit when you get when you get so close that the gravitational forces are stronger than the rock forces themselves. Or in this case, it was an icy object because you have a lot of ice there, uh, and it breaks it up and puts it into a big orbit of a ring. Oh, I guess I I never knew what the rings are made from. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, actually, except for the outer ring. Um, all the giant planets have rings, but the other three are really, they're, they're more wispy and they're dark because they, they appear to be more rock. So you, you can't really see them in visible light, but you can see them in like infrared. James Webb has great pictures of them. So you think of Saturn as the only one with the rings, but yeah. they all have rings. Saturn just has the, the greatest rings. And, the, we'll see. and because they're ice, they reflect light. So they make it much easier to see. Yeah. Oh. But they all come from objects that were uh, uh, that were brought in too close and broke up and went into a ring. And you said ob you didn't say moons. You said objects, so it could have well, been. It could have been a moon. It could have been a moon that was brought in. It could have been uh, a um, an asteroid that was captured and then brought in. And of course, an and once an asteroid's captured, we call it a moon. Yeah. So you know, it's it's um, yeah. The rings actually, and the rings, what's funny is that the rings, the material the rings like to collect up. And if the dynamics are right, they can collect up a little moon in the rings and spit it out. So moons can go both ways. They can get destroyed and become rings, and the rings can create littler moons and throw them out. Oh. Huh. So if they would throw an object out, does it 
Is it then an asteroid? Uh, well, no, it'll throw it out into its into orbit, into the orbit. but it'll be on this so-called Roche limit that it can out now stay intact. Okay. And then if you actually look at the edge of Saturn's rings, you can see all bunch of what we call like moonlets right in the edge rings right there that are kind of some big forces trying to collect it together and tear it apart at the same time. So they got some wild shapes, but some of them are at some point probably will get tossed out. I know Saturn's making baby moons. Yes. Well, that's cool. The moonlets. Moonlets. Oh my goodness, that's funny. Of course, Saturn's also eating its moons too. So right. yeah, it's not you know. Yeah. All right. It's great. Right. <laughs> well, things happen. That's a bad story. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we went through the. Um, formation of the moon yeah. and why it's rotating it is the fact that it, there is no dark side of the moon right that still really disturbs me um <laughs> <laughs> all the things we discussed that disturbs me the most that there's no dark there's side no dark side the fact that i didn't just inherently obviously know it i never thought about it enough that, that that's dumb there couldn't be but i it did not think about it enough, so it drives me nuts yeah. That is an interesting thing, because if you do think about it, it's quick, it, you'll quickly come up with that conclusion. Yeah. But many of us don't think about it. What? Yeah, why wouldn't we? Right. So, by the way, I think the other point we did talk about you, but you, but this comes out as, is total eclipses, right? Total solar eclipses. Yes. yes. We're going to have one out here in, what, April in mm -hmm. next year. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, I've already ordered a few thousand uh, glasses. Right. My, for all your, all your students? Oh, for instance, it says EAPS 105, plan, you know, come explore the planets, and they're to hand out to everybody. It's such awesome. Um, so, right, so we're the only, the moon is, you know, it's a certain size and a certain distance that's just perfect by coincidence to totally block out this, the sun, mm -hmm. right? But because the moon's moving away, what this means is it's not just a coincidence in size and space, it's a coincidence in time. Millions of years ago, the moon was closer and therefore blocked out more than the sun. And millions of years from now, it'll be farther away and it will block out the complete sun. So we live at the time when our moon is just the right distance to, to, to have a total, total eclipse. No other planet, moon, you know, combination in our solar system does that. None? None. I mean, they'll, they'll either totally block out the sun. I mean, think about the sun so far away from Jupiter, right? Yeah. That, that, you know, when Io or, you know, Callisto pass in front of the sun, it totally blocks the sun, right? But you can imagine, um, actually, I, I don't know where Phobos and Deimos are in this, in this game, but none others line up like that. Uh-huh. So we've got the only one, and we happen to live at the right time to see it. Well, that's pretty cool. That it is. is. That's it just is. amazing. The right time meaning that it's just the perfect amount of time, or per the perfect distance away, so that when the moon and lines up with the sun and the earth, that you just see that little... Yeah, you see the corona, yeah. which is yeah. which is kind of the outer atmosphere of the, of the sun. So it's, yeah... Wow. If that's one of the big things I studied during the eclipse is the corona, because it's the only time that you'd see it, see it. Well, yes, but they, we do have special filters to look to look and see the corona and all okay. sorts of things with the sun. But 
absolutely there are things illuminated when there's a total eclipse that make it very easy to study the Quran. So, yes, there'll be a lot of telescopes pointed at it. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been enlightening. I learned more than I thought I would, which drives me nuts every time. I'm okay to learn something, but there are too many misconceptions this time. That drives me nuts, but uh, I won't next time. Okay, well, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Science from the Experts from Purdue University Superheroes of Science. If you like this episode, subscribe, give us a positive view, and share the love. Boiler up! Hammer down!